Buongiorno tutti. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Kimberly Italy, where we chat about all things Italian. And just FYI, the way to say that properly in Italian is Dove parliamo di tutti le cose italiane. How's that, Tommaso? Can you have that ready for next week? Dove parliamo <laughs> di tutti le cose italiane. Um, no. no. <laughs> we'll be back next week with a better version of that. But you tried. Very good. Bravo. If you are new to our podcast, you will quickly learn that we are both enamored with the country, the people, the cuisine, the history, the architecture, the art, the landscape, and of course, the vino. Basically everything Italian. Exactly. In each episode, we share our favorite places in that area or city that we're talking about and some very handy travel tips and enough of the history to make you really appreciate what you will be looking at or standing on or listening to. We could easily go into more detail about the history because basically that's one of our obsessions with Italy. But some people prefer to know more simple things in life, like where's the best cappuccino Milano instead of where Emperor Tiberio was exiled, for example. Well, you can get both. That's true. Which is a good thing. That's very true. We will share enough about each place to really, really draw you in and hope in the end that if you want to experience Italy the same way we have, that you'll get in touch with me so I can help you plan your next trip to Bell Italia. Allora. For those of you in America, we hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving, which happens to be one of Tommaso's favorite meals, I must say. And Tommaso's favorite leftovers, which we are still <laughs> dealing with. Yes. But you had that for lunch. I did. That. I had a pasta. Yes. <laughs> I actually have a very fond memory of a Thanksgiving in Milano, Molto Anifa, many years ago. I had a neighbor, an American woman named Susan. And she was maybe 10, 12 years older than me, well, maybe 15. And she went to Italy during one of her, you know, during a university junior year abroad type situation. And the typical story, she met an Italian, she stayed, they had a couple kids. And at some point in her life and in my life, I moved in to the apartment right next door on Via Meda in Milano. So she was with her two kids at the time, Liza and Joshua, and they were maybe like five and nine, something like that. And it was awesome, someone to speak English with, you know, occasionally, and learned the Italian while their little kids were chatting away. And on top of it, Susan was an excellent cook. She was even a food writer. So I forget the name of her neighbor, Buon Vicino. She was a fantastic neighbor. So one day, one year, I should say, she decided to make a full-on Thanksgiving dinner for all her Italian friends. And finding an entire turkey in Milano at that point was no easy feat. Probably still isn't to this day. But somehow she did. It's really not an American-sized turkey. Exactly. It's not a 30-pound turkey. Exactly. And she had at least like 16, 18 people that night. So all of her Italian friends, fathers-in-laws, cousins of the husband and the kids, aunts, uncles, etc. And she went to town. She made 
all of the side dishes, the stuffing, you name it, everything. And it was delicious, lively, tons of fun. And at the end of the dinner, Susan stood up and thanked everyone in Italian for joining her at her favorite meal of the year. And then she listed all that she was grateful for, etc. So the oldest man there, he was the father-in-law of someone, he was ancient. He stood up with a glass of wine. And so we thought, oh, he's going to thank Suzanne and salute everybody. And instead, he stares way down the table directly at me. He points his finger. He's holding his glass of wine in one hand, points his finger in the other, and he goes, Tu sembri esattamente come, which means you look exactly like everyone's waiting. Like, who does Kimberly look like? He goes, Roger Moore. <laughs> James Bond. Tomas has heard this story before, but it was so funny. And everyone just hesitated and then burst out laughing because you don't normally tell a woman, a woman. <laughs> that yes. you look like a man. You're right. <laughs> and in the end, I explained, that's fine, because actually my dad and Roger Moore, you know, were the same they looked, age. They and looked they, very close. They looked almost separated at birth. No, 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 no. They looked very, very close. Anyway, so I do look like 007. Allora, let's return to my first few days in Rome with this Kitten Club 3 trip. We zigzagged, on the third day, I should say, we zigzagged, walked all over the city to show, as you recall, Lucia, one woman on the trip, it was her first time to Italy. So we showed her all the greatest hits, walked by the Trevi Fountain, the Pantheon again, even though we had been there the day before, over the river, back, you name it, all the obeliques, we walked everywhere and eventually ended up at the Colosseum because everyone needs to see the Colosseum. And it was crowded. We did we chose, I should say, to not get tickets to the Colosseum. They chose smaller venues, which we did all of them throughout those few days. While we were at the Colosseum, I brought them over to the Arch of Constantine, which sits directly southwest to the Colosseum. It's right next to it, but most people are just walking the circumference of the Colosseum and taking pictures, and no one really looks at this arch. Remember it, Tommaso? Yes, yes. It's stunning. It's mind-blowing. And it's literally, what, a football field away? Not even. Well, I just think a lot of people don't research what, you know, they, they research the greatest hits. But right. they don't research the nuance well, of Rome. I think they don't even see it. Because there's so much going on while you're looking at the Colosseum. They look to the side and they're like, oh, there's an arch. Anyway. <laughs> there's an arch. And it's, just another, just another right. you know, BC arch. Antiquity. Yeah. But anyway, it's fenced off, but the fencing is right at the base of this arch. So you can walk right up to it, see everything there is to see. And it's amazing. It was built to honor Constantine the Great for his victory over Maxentius in 312 AD. And it's in really good condition, if you ask me, considering all the pollution that Italy had in its day because they didn't convert to unleaded. They didn't convert to unleaded till like 20 years after we did here. So while I lived in Milano, it was gross. So think of how polluted a city like Rome, Milan, Napoli was, and yet all this marble and everything looks pretty good. Maybe they made an effort after they 
all had unleaded gasoline. Little scrub. This arch stands there from at least 312 AD. And to be honest, like I said, you don't see too many people standing there looking at it. They're just obsessed with the Colosseum. But the beauty of smartphones now is that you can take a picture of a place. Let's say you're busy cruising around and you're like, what is this? I don't know it. I'm going to take a picture of it and I'll research it later. That, I think, is the beauty of technology. Take a picture with your smartphone and then from its GPS location, you can later or right then and there just swipe up and it'll say, recognize this landmark. And then you click on that. It takes you to Wikipedia and it tells you everything about what you're looking at. That part's very cool. Yes. So when you go to the Colosseum, please walk around and look up at the Arch of Constantine. It's magnificent, I think. From there, we walk past the Foro Romano, the Roman Forum, and then onto the fabulous Via dei Fori Imperiale. That is that big, wide boulevard, Tommaso, that you and I walked on that night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very wide, and on weekends, it's car-free, basically. So do you recall, it was just packed with people, but at a slow pace. So tourists were taking in the ruins on either side. You remember how it's kind of elevated? Well, I should say the ruins were excavated, so therefore they're below the street level. So you look down to the ruins on either side. So we kind of just crossed back and forth and checked out all those ruins on top of the Roman form and Augustus's ruins, etc. So that night we were walking down there and remember the amount of people as we got closer to Piazza Venezia. It was a rather, rather uh, boisterous student rally. Yes, exactly. And they had all these loudspeakers that were not that high quality. So it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was really, it was a little annoying in the ears. But, you know, hey, they were out there protesting and it was organized. It Mm -hmm. wasn't mayhem. Mm -hmm. But then they also had music. They were passionate. Right. They had little bands. It was a rally slash, I don't know, party, whatever. But the Polizia... It was a big meetup in Rome. Right. Polizia had their sirens going. It was loud and crazy. And that is what prevented us, you and I, that night from walking up to the top of the amazing building at Piazza Venezia called Vittoriano. There's actually a lot of names for this. Vittoriano is one of the words, but the official name is the Monumento Nazionale a Vittorio Emanuele. And if you recall from all this... I thought my name was long. (laughs) Vittorio Emanuele was the first official king under United Italy. And as I have mentioned in previous episodes, every single city, village, teeny little town has something named Vittorio Emanuele. For example, in Milano, that amazing Galleria right next to the Duomo with the glass Mm -hmm. arches, that's Galleria Vittorio Emanuele. That is a a mouthful. It's not like you can quickly say to your friends, hey, you want to meet up at (laughs) whatever, Galleria Vittorio Emanuele. So in this case... It'd be a lot to text. (laughs) They probably just say Vit. Vito. So in Rome, at Piazza Venezia, they decided to build the monument to Vittorio Emanuele, which they also call, another official name is Altare della Patria, and that means the altar to the fatherland. 
they just they chose the people in charge in those days chose to build this in between the Roman Forum and Palatine Hill, and therefore they had to destroy a lot of churches, some of the ruins, and the Romans were bullshit. Right, rightfully so. Yes, correct. But they probably thought at the time, this is the late 1800s, 1885, I think, they thought, oh, we have so many ruins and it'll be fine. Yes, <laughs> so many ruins. Right. <laughs> it'll be fine. We need to, to make a statement here. And a statement they did. However, I will say, when the building was finished, everyone basically hated it. It was too garish, too showy, too pompous, too ornate too much of everything. And keep in mind, they were so upset that they did destroy a lot of ruins in order to build this behemoth, monstrosity, etc. A couple of the other nicknames are the typewriter. Yes. Which you can understand understand Mm -hmm. when you stand back. Mm -hmm. All of the steps. Right. And there's two heavy ends on either side. And the other nickname is the wedding cake because... Instead of all the natural color stone that Rome was at the time, they brought down white marble, not from Carrara, but from northern Italy. So the other nickname was the wedding cake. So no one loved it. It has a bad rap, bad history. As a tourist, however, I am in awe of it architecturally, and I will continue to walk up its 196 steps to the altar and the tomb of the unknown soldier. And behind that is the sculpture of the goddess of Roma. The goddess of glutes and calves. If you walk up all those oh, steps, oh, oh. <laughs> you're going to build up your glutes and your calves. That's for damn sure. Well, there's more steps after that, to be honest. Okay. This tomb of the unknown soldier and this altar is guarded by soldiers 24 hours a day. And they have a changing of the guard, just like at Buckingham Palace. But it's very, it's very majestic, yet, I don't know, there's something about it. The entire building, I love it. And as I just mentioned, there's more stairs up above the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and they take you to these various terraces. And by then, you're pretty high up for Rome, and the view of the city is so impressive. Da morire. Da morire, bravo. And then you keep going up to the highest terrace, and who's on top? Vittorio Emanuele sitting atop a bronze horse. And this horse... It's kind of big. It's very large, and it's so muscular. It's as if Michelangelo came back a couple hundred years later and sculpted it. So Vittorio Emanuele is on horseback, and a matter of fact... This horse, this sculpture is so large that in 1911, before they completely finished the installation, the powers that be organized a group of 24 people who were responsible for making the Vittorio happen and the placement of all these sculptures, etc. So they got 24 people together and they installed, or I should say, just put inside the belly of a horse a table. And then 24 people 
crawled into the belly of the horse, and guess what they did? They they had a dinner. They had a feast. That is so Italian. <laughs> that is so wonderful. Wine. That is so wonderful. I, I think I read somewhere that they couldn't figure out how to keep the pasta warm, so instead they had like panini or something. But when you're standing at the base of this sculpture, and if you know this story, which you will know now, I knew it beforehand. And when you know it, you can visualize and picture it like, I bet you that was a tight squeeze, but they did it. They did it. And they had a meal inside the belly of the horse of Victor. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? My favorite part about this particular sculpture, however, is the base that it sits on. It's oval in shape and carved from the same white marble as the rest of the building. And the sculptor made just about life-size goddesses and warriors and their backs are into the base and they're standing there in all their glory with their swords and things, you know, kind of... um, All all their armaments. from Armaments. Thank you very much. Thank you. I stood at this base and you can only see the back of it at the highest part of the terrace and then you have to go down the steps to see the sides and the front and the sun was going down. I have the most beautiful pictures. So I'm going to put those on my Instagram account. But they show, these photos show the detail of this carving of all of these goddesses and warriors. It's absolutely incredible. And I kept thinking like, they're so beautiful. They're worthy of being inside the Uffizi or some other national museum. And instead, they're outside for eternity under the bum of the horse. <laughs> facing, the horse's ass. Right. <laughs> facing the back, and yet they're absolutely stunning. So when you go to the wedding cake, to the typewriter, to the Vittorio Emanuele, the Vittoriano, go up to the top and look at these sculptures, and I think you will be just completely gobsmacked at them. All righty. So even though the Vittoriano is controversial all these years later, I truly recommend going for the architecture and the art at the very least. And last tidbit, last travel tip, when you leave, because they have you just go up and then there's only two ways to get back down. It's like one way driving. So you walk up, 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 up. And when you're ready to leave, you can either walk to the rear of the building and take the glass elevator that goes down. A lot of people take the glass elevator up to this Um, viewing area to see the sites of Rome and then they take it back down. For those of you that walk up, you can either take that elevator down or choose to go inside. Go inside. It is absolutely stunning. It's all the same white marble, these big, wide, elegant, majestic staircases that go down with sculptures in these half shells. It is stunning stately and beautiful and just like calm inside for such a big, busy, massive exterior. The inside of this place was just like tranquilo and bellissimo. I want to say something. When I woke up, I looked at Instagram this morning, not right away, but I looked at Instagram and there was a woman in front of the Pantheon, like snarfing a bowl of pasta right? And she had on- An influencer. Yeah, right. A waste of time. But anyway, the long and the short of it is she was there in this very flowy dress and eating a bowl of pasta in the most 
in-your-face mode. I hope we don't find 24 people up under the horse eating a bowl of pasta (laughs) at some point. So if if that happens, it wasn't our fault. We're sorry. (laughs) Okay. From there, we walked toward Trastevere, but two of the women had to use the bathroom. So on our way, we found a pub, like a beer pub, and this very personable, very handsome, molto, molto bello waiter came out and he said, ciao. Day two of Cougars in Rome. (laughs) Stop it. It was day four of Cougars in Rome. (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) he set up a table for us outside because it was still very warm and we sat down and we all ordered a Aperol spritz, as a matter of fact. But the two women that had to use the bathroom so badly we were almost finished with our Aperol spritz by the time they came back. And we're like, what's going on? And apparently it was so gross. And the nice waiter was trying to fix it, clean it up, whatever the point was. But when they came back and shared the story, that's when we knew, okay, this Bonio report is really just going to, it became a thing right then and there. However, the waiter was so awesome that that particular pub bathroom did not win the award for Il Puskifo, the most disgusting banya. <laughs> <laughs> then we had a fantastic dinner in Trastevere, and we decided to walk back to our Spanish Steps neighborhood via the oldest bridge in Rome. Remember Ponte Fabrizio si. from 62 BC. Mm-hmm. So I had mentioned to these women, this bridge is so old and there's this wooden turnstile that has probably been there since 62 BC. Well, I, th- I think they probably rebuilt it a few times. Perhaps, because per- it is wood, not it, it marble. Is wood, right. Just to think that you're walking over the little isola, the island, on the oldest bridge in Rome, something that's from 62 BC right away. That's just mind-blowing. And then from there... We walked up to Piazza Navona. Can I go back to the bridge for one second? Sure. Th- that bridge is so old, and I remember walking over it. And we came back. I had to research it, and I read Piranesi, who's one of the great engravers of Rome, set up a studio in Rome. And Tipolo from Venice said he was more, much more of an artist than an engraver, because an engraver was mm-hmm. a cra- was a was was a tradesman, right? Correct. When you look at that, when you think about that, he developed these engravings and these drawings in the mid 1700s, and he thought it was old right. then. And you know, <laughs> today in our world, we think, "Oh God, they're they're 35. It's old, God." You know, and he was looking at something in the 1700s that was 1700 years old, 1762 years yeah, old. Yeah, and looking at his engraving of 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 that bridge, you know, it's just amazing how they've stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Google Piranesi and you'll see one of the drawings, the the engraving he did of of the of the of the bridge and it it hasn't changed. It's 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 remarkable. That's amazing. I'm going to look that up. Okay. Do you think that he made all these engravings for the equivalent of history books? Well, he he school bu- books? he put a whole portfolio together of Rome. He was okay. He he, you know, like Canaletto in Venice, he was the veduta of of Rome in the seventeen hundreds. Okay. Because people these engravings, you know, people needed uh, some wall art. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to look up Piranese's work. Okay. Because that bridge to me is just amazing. Okay. So from there, as I mentioned, we walked up Piazza Navona 
And I've also said this several times, but walking around Rome or a village anywhere in Italy at night is just so unique, so different from how other countries light up their cities at night. If you're driving into Manhattan from New Jersey or Connecticut and you see the city lit up at night, it's impressive because of the contemporary building and all the glass. And you just think, wow, that's a big city. And also that's a big electric bill. But (laughs) then in Rome or Italy, anywhere, everything is just lit minimally from the exterior and including fountains. So the water is lit. The inside of the fountain under the water is lit. You hear the water. The buildings in the piazza behind you are lit from below and you see all the architectural details. It is so different and so enriching to see it at night. And as I've mentioned a million times, I feel that Rome is very safe. And we walked around till one, two in the morning, every night just about. And it's a beautiful thing to do. From Piazza Navona, we walked past the Pantheon because remember that at night, Tommaso? Especially Mm -hmm. from the back, Mm -hmm. the first time, we're like, what is this old brick facade? The rough brick that had been... Layers deep. Right. That, from behind, we were confused as to where we were that first night in Rome last fall. Like, what is that? Oh my God, it's the back of the Pantheon. The front of the Pantheon, so amazing, the way they light it at night from below. And then from there, we went to Trevi Fountain, of course. And just like you mentioned, there were a couple people doing like wacky selfie TikTok videos. That was a little annoying off-putting but it's still stunning the way they light the trevi fountain at night just incredible allora back to our trip the next morning the rest of the gang went to villa farnesina which is back in trastevere but i had a few people to meet things to do so i let them go on their own and i said i'd meet you later for the vesper ride but first let me say that villa farnesina is this stately and stunning villa that houses the largest amounts of work by Raffaele outside of a national museum. I'm 99% sure about that. And they loved it. The gardens are amazing also. But every single inch of this villa, which is why people go, every single inch, the walls, the floors, the ceilings, every inch is covered in handmade craftsmanship, whether it's the mosaic tile floors, the paintings, the ceilings are frescoed, all the plaster, gold gilt everywhere. It is incredible. So they absolutely loved it. And since it's an old, small villa, it's less crowded than going to a main national art museum. Just FYI. It's kind of off the beaten path type art lovers haven. Now, on to our fantastic Vespa tour. There are several companies in Rome that offer scooters that you can rent on your own or Vespas. There's companies that offer a sidecar to a Vespa. I had clients do that last month and they loved it. And I kept thinking the sidecar, whomever sitting in the sidecar is very low to the ground. I don't know that there's a huge difference in your mind of your safety between 
two feet off the ground or three feet off the ground? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. That was my first thought, but they loved it. And then there's even companies that rent Apes, which are those three-wheeled, half-motorcycle, half-small-truck combo that I've discussed before or I've shared with you before. And I actually sh- shared the story of my Frutti Vendolo man in my building in Milano. He's the He was a fruit vendor. He had this ancient ape, even when I lived there, you know, a long time ago, his ape was so old, it was so narrow and so teeny, and just one person would sit in the front with this little roof over it, and then the back was like a open truck with low sides, and he let me borrow that to take all my photo equipment to the studio, (laughs) (laughs) and then I would ride back by myself. This is very early, you know, like 6.37 in the morning, I'm like, ding, 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 (laughs) going through the city on the old stone roads, get to the studio, drop my stuff off, come back, give it to him. He uses it for the day, moving his fruits and vegetables around, and then I would take the tram to the studio. It was brilliant. So anyway, there's companies now that rent apes, and as a matter of fact, we used one of these companies. So four of us chose to ride behind the Vespa driver and two women sat in the Ape in the back. They're much larger these days than the one I just described. So we all took off from this park in Trastevere as a pack. Our own little motorcycle gang zipping through the narrow streets of Trastevere and all these different little zones, you know, this Vespa and Ape tour was so fantastic. One of the best things I've ever done. So I'd rather spend a little more time telling you about it. So how about we pick up for next episode and start with that? Va bene, Tommaso? Yes, sure. Okay. However, However, don't go away because Tommaso has something molto importante to say. So in reading the news this week about travel, um, the level of bookings for the airlines and the global 247 or whatever the number is airlines around the world are already at 2019 numbers in reservations for 2023 for 2023 so that means it's going to be busy next year busy again going back to revenge tourism Hmm. so and you've seen this in your bookings recently when you've called places and they're already booked or they're the dates are booked Yes, correct. It's not too late, though. I will say that. No, so, it's not too late. But to get your to get the best value yeah, for your soon, investment in this wonderful, soon. I start doing it soon. Exactly. So, if you're thinking of 2023, get in touch with me, like pronto. Our next few episodes will follow my trip from just a few weeks ago down to Capri, Amalfi, and Procida. That's an island. Lots to share about those fabulous hikes in Capri, an epic boat ride with Capitano Nuncio. His name was Nuncio. He was awesome. And a few more of my handy travel tips. After that, we'll be recording a few episodes from Copenhagen. Copenhagen. And we realize that is not in Italy. It's a little darker. It's a little colder. (laughs) But you get some different different cuisine. But there's plenty of hege. (laughs) that's where our danish friends or slash danish family live and we will be spending christmas with them from there we're going down to lago di como quick stop in milano for a day and on to bologna to spend new year's eve because i asked tomaso where would you like to spend new year's eve 
off the top of your head, top of your list, what's your favorite? What do you want to do, see, have happen? Where haven't I been? What we've talked about several times, Bologna for the Bolognese, Ragu. And on the way, maybe we stop in Parma and maybe Modena. (laughs) And I think Tomasa's choice of Bologna, of eating ragu bolognese in his birthplace is perfect. And I promise I will take a video of your very first bite of ragu bolognese. I'll probably try it for breakfast on New Year's Day, too. (laughs) (laughs) This video will go viral Tommaso's first bite of bolognese in Bologna. E basta. Grazie mille a tutti. E ci sentiamo. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.